Good afternoon, everyone. SingEVL Google Hangout, 23rd of March, 2018. CPD accredited. Remember, if anybody wants a CPD certificate, you just have to make contact after the Hangout. I will give you all a question during the Hangout just to prove that you haven't just logged in for two seconds. Remember, you should sign up to our YouTube channel, and that way you'll always receive notifications. And, of course, we now have podcasts. So if you download the podcast um, and you sign up to Singapore on the podcast, on the App Store, you'll be able to listen to us on the way home, on the way to work, when you're walking your dog. Right, so today we've got a great team around us. We've got me, Neil Singer. We have Dale Henry. Good afternoon. We have our man in Scotland, Graham Waddell. Afternoon. And we have Andrew Heinard, of the CEO of the Howard Warden Estate. And we have, you can say hello if you want, Andrew. Yeah, hello, everyone. Hi, good afternoon. <laughs> and we have Paul Davis of Nimbus Maps. Hi, guys. Now, I'm going to just start off by saying a little bit about the guests because we are, it's great having Andrew, who I've known for many, many years. And um, many years ago when I was young and didn't know my way around the property world, Andrew taught me how to do deals at Joe, what was then called Jones Langwooten. And if for Andrew, I'm very sad to see that the building's been knocked down. Yeah, it's a hole in the ground. Uh, I yeah. walked past, past there the other day and uh, it's, uh, you can see right through, the, right through it. So you and I have been around for a long time, Neil. Yeah, let's, I wonder, yeah, yeah. You always, you was, you're always my boss, so slightly older, slightly older, right. So the Howard Orden Estate, I'll let you talk about that in a minute, Andrew. Yeah. Um, there's a slight echo. Where's my echo coming from? Dale, are you, are you muted? Um, so Andrew is the CEO of Howard Orden Estate, formerly of JLL, former chairman of the Investment Property Forum, and a current chairman of the RICS Commercial Property Forum. Have I missed anything? No, that's uh, that's fine. That's a that's uh, that's, that's the all. principal roles and interests. That's, that's all. That's all. And Paul, as a founder and director of Assured Property Group and a director of Nimbus Maps, and realised in 2015 how helpful it would be to open up their data to others, and hence created Nimbus Maps. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So let's first of all. Do an over, do a quick roundup of news, right? So I'm going to start. Let's do a quick run up, rundown of uh, things that have happened, right? Mipim. So Dale and I went to Mipim a few weeks ago to see what was going on. I can report that it was sunny for two days and it rained for one day, one day, one day even. The mood I thought was quite interesting in Mipim. There was, I felt there was definitely a lot less people than normal. Whether that's to do with the market or whether it's to do with undercover reporters who was who were supposed to be prowling although i didn't see any um but the market feedback was actually the market was quite stagnant and most people seemed to be quite cautious there was a lot of interest though in the conference area i i felt that there was a lot of buzz around technology there were certain tech, tech firms that taken stands paul did you go were nimbus there we didn't in the end actually no we um decided not to yeah, it's it's. I mean, I thought I saw Dacia were there, and they had a lot of people buzzing around their stand. So I thought the I thought Mipim was good. I thought there was people talking. There's always lots of lawyers in Mipim, always I find. So I thought the market the market was 
positive but cautious. People were a little bit nervous. Right, should we go on to what's happening in the market? Dale, should, we talk, about, should we talk about what's happening in the market, seeing of wise Yeah, sure. Um, well, we've launched a number, of, a number of new sales this week. Um, some here, some up in, in Scotland, which Graham can give a quick overview of those ones. But um, just to run you through our new properties. So we've just, the first one we've just launched is a very interesting industrial estate ground lease investment in Bolton, which you can see now, um, which is a multi-let multi on 26 ground leases uh, with an average weighted unexpired lease term of 66 years. It's, it's a highly secure investment with the rent payable based upon the rental value of the land. Um, it's VAT free and we're seeking office in the region of 1.9 million, which is 5%. Um, the other one we've just launched is a, another highly secure investment in Plymouth, uh, which is situated in the town centre on Cornwall Street, uh, with 70% of the income secured against Grand Metropolitan Estates, who are a AAA covenant. Um, uh, they've got net assets of about £170 million. The property comprises three units with upper parts as well, and the weighted average unexpired lease term is just over 27 years. And we're seeking £665,000, which is 7%. Um, in rugby, we've got a freehold retail investment let to the very secure covenant Holland and Barrett. They've been in occupation since 1999 and it's let off a rebased rent. We are asking £475,000, so an attractive lot size, and um, that reflects 6%. The next one we've got for sale is a petrol filling station in Wallingford in Oxfordshire. Um, as you can see, very prominent roadside location, let for a further 10 and a half, uh, just over 10 years, with a guaranteed rental increase in 2023. And we're asking 1.15 million, which is eight and a quarter percent, rising to a guaranteed 9.34 percent. In Torquay Town Centre, we're selling a well-secured retail investment let to William Hill, let on a new lease from 2016 at a rebased rent, and that's available at 265,000 pounds, which is a high yield of just over 10 percent. Um, and finally, we've got a, a, a supermarket investment in Ivy Bridge, let to the full cooperative group Covenant. Um, that's got a further ten and a half years unexpired. It's the only supermarket in the town. The tenants just spent recently spent about a million pounds on the store, and we're seeking two point seven three million, which is six and a half percent. Okay, Graham, do you want to talk about? Uh... Scotland? Yeah, I do. Um, <clears throat> the reason you didn't see any undercover reporters, Neil and Mipham, is because they were undercover. But um, No, I've got very good eyesight. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in Scotland, we just concluded the sale of the card factory yesterday, which was in Elgin. Uh, that went through yesterday, which was good news. The Sally Beauty unit in Perth, we brought out um, yeah, two weeks ago today, and um, that is due to sell next week to a private buyer from down south. So uh, obviously our client's delighted that that will be hopefully done and dusted within three weeks of, of bringing to the market. Uh, we are marketing Superdrug in Air, which is uh, 
quite substantial building in Air Town Centre, let to Superdrug for another three and a half years, very attractive net yield of 11%, and quite a few asset management angles on that. Wow, that's an interesting, that's a beautiful building, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it's, it's a very nice building, uh, former bank, but it's been adapted and extended specifically for Superdrug for their occupation. Um, and just launched on the website today, uh, flagship unit in Union Street, Aberdeen, led to the iconic retailer of All Saints. Um, probably one of the nicest units I've been in. Um, didn't buy anything, obviously. It's far too young and trendy for me, but uh, great unit led to All Saints for another five years till January 2023. Um, what's the, the nature? Uh, do you know? I should know, but I don't. What's the nature of our client there out of interest? He's a private client. Private client. Private client. Private Scottish client who's who's owned it for a number of years. Um, so that's going to that's now on the market. One point seven million. Um, we've reported in two or three other things, which we'll be able to, to share with you in the next the next hangout. Um, just also to say, Neil, after the last hangout, I got a call from a potential investor who had been watching the hangout in Costa Rica. So for people who don't think we are worldwide, our reach is worldwide, it certainly is. He'd phoned and heard about the super drug in here and wanted a bit more information. So, And they understood you. They understood the accent. That's well. the, <laughs> we didn't talk too much Spanish, did we? Uh, no. Although, uh, although, of course, all our, all our properties are translated. Um, not by, we have professional teams of translators. So everything which we sell, I think, is in Russian, in Arabic, in Chinese, etc. So that's what we do as a business, right? So thank you very much, Graham. So if you want to buy property, you know where to come, and if you if you want to sell property, you know where to come. Right, news. Okay, I tell you what, I'm going to hold off on the news. I'm going to hold off the news. Let's let's. I'd like to bring in the guests. Let's bring in the guests early. Andrew. Yeah. Now, Andrew. I'm going to give you the floor. Um, do you want to get, tell everyone about the Howard Warden Estate? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think you might have a plan, a map that you can bring up. Yes, let me do that. Which will probably me... be helpful in terms of just sort of describing where we are. That looks great. So, there you are. Um, How's, that? How's that? Yeah, I can see it well, and I hope our fellow hangouters can see it as well. So in the bottom right-hand corner there, you'll see Oxford Circus Tube. Um, and therefore, running east to west, southwest, southeast corner is Oxford Street. And we are a family owned estate covering about 92 acres. And we're basically everything within, or at least the extremities of the boundary, are within that mauve line that you can see working its way around. So the green corner, just to the northwest of Oxford Circus, there is Cavendish Square to get your bearings. And then we go. You follow up Harley Street, across to the right, up Portland Place by the BBC. We wrap around the back of the BBC. Heading north, you go up the um, Hallam Street, come around Hallam Street and Park West. Head north again onto the Marlebone Road, left or west, and then you come back down, uh, if everybody can see the screen, if we got it up. Um, yeah, yeah. Come down, you come down the High Street, uh, all the way down the high street, and you can then see that it sort of two thirds of the way down, it kicks to the southeast, to the right as you're looking at it, down Marlebone Lane, which has been uh, over the last couple of years uh, seen a lot of improvement in terms of public realm. 
we come all the way down Marlebone Lane onto Wigmore Street, which, which, which runs east-west. Um, we cross over just north of where you're broadcasting from in the southern section of Wimpole Street and back to Cavendish Square. And we've got a couple of outliers there. We've got the Royal Society of Medicine at the bottom on the left. And on the right-hand side, we've got the freehold of that block on uh, Cavendish Square, which includes the university and a number of offices, such as the ones occupied by Mayfair Capital and Orion. So just to, um, that's the geography. In terms of uh, 92 acres, we own probably 70% or have a direct influence over 70% or thereabouts of all of Harley Street and about 70% as well of uh, the retail on Marlebone High Street and Marlebone Lane. To give you an idea of um, rental income and value, the current income is about 123, 124 million pounds per annum. And the gross asset value is around 4.2 billion. So to put that into context, that puts us on a par, slightly ahead of Great Portland Estates. I guess we're similar sort of size to Doe and London, a bit smaller perhaps, and similar to Shaftesbury. And very similar to the, the capital value of the Grosvenor Estate in London. And uh, Portman are close by, neighbours, and Cadogan. They're all similar businesses to ours, family owned. And then to give you just a flavour of the split in income, our biggest income now comes from medical, which is a section, an element of the estate that we've really been investing in over the last decade. And we've got world-class hospitals there and uh, other practitioners. That's about 30%, just over a third, of, or just under a third of the income. Interestingly, residential retains our biggest value. Uh, by income, that's about 24, 25% but is still the biggest by capital value terms. Third is, in terms of rental income, is offices at about 22, 23%. Then retail, which is perhaps surprising only at 15%, because most people, if you talk about the Howard Warden Estate or Marlebone High Street, um, will talk about the retail. That is such a shop front for us. And then the rest is made up of education, hotels, and others. So that gives you a feel for the mixes. It's, uh, it's fabulous having everything within one location. So the furthest property for me from the office is a 10 minute stroll, which means that gives us really special insight. You know, we're constantly bumping into our customers, our occupiers, getting intelligence. And it's a real community, as you know, from living and well, from working around here as well, Neil. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've worked in Marylebone and on the estate since I started the business. I was originally in Welbeck Street, then I then I was in Queen Anne Street in two buildings. Then I were then we were in Wigmore Street. So I'm afraid we've just slightly moved out of the estate. We're we're neighbours. We're we're near neighbours now. No, I, 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 I love it around here. I love it. I, I've I've seen when I went from twenty odd years ago, Marlborough High Street, when it was full of charity shops and empty units. It's just fantastic now. It's a great place. I mean, and yeah. the, the residential development in the area has been quite spectacular, really, hasn't it? Yeah. I, mean, I think you're right. It's, it's retail that, that, that kicked it off the revitalization. Waitrose was an absolute game changer. And the, the guy here who's been a continuum all the way through is Simon Bainham, our property director, 23 years. That's relatively new, I've got to say, in terms of joiners here. Um, but Simon and Andrew Ashenden, the chief executive at the time, were instrumental in uh, introducing Waitrose, that was a game changer. We have still got the very best charity shops in Oxfam and Cancer Research UK, 
but we've got a great mix and it's played back to me in terms of other retailers. Nice group of independent food specialists, for example, Ginger Pig and so forth. And I, that was a game changer. And that's allowed us to invest heavily in the estate over the years. And the other thing I should add, of course, is that it's, um, it's a very historic nature. You know, many of the buildings go back 100, 200 years. So we're quite constrained in terms of planning because of the listing of a couple of hundred buildings. But uh, they're, they're in, it gives us a lot of charm and attraction. Yeah, it's a, yeah. I've got a, okay, I've got a question for you. Um, anyone, feel free to jump in. Anyone online, you can send a question and we'll see it. Um, anyone, any, anyone else here wants to jump in with a question, please interrupt me. I just want to ask you, Andrew, so how's, with the current state of the market and the way people are changing their occupation, you've got serviced offices, you've got pop-up retailing, how's that affecting you guys? Yeah, well, there's a lot of change going on, uh, clearly. And in fact, um, it's interesting because you were telling me earlier you occupy, I think, one of the office groups, TAG's yeah. buildings. Yeah. Um, and over the last three, four months, I've spent a lot of time with colleagues here visiting and being visited by a good number of the um, flexible office occupiers. And I think that's something that would play out really well on the estate here. Uh, if we could get the right building, um, we find that a lot of the occupiers uh, may establish themselves here, grow, we keep in touch with them and sometimes they return. And there's, there's a great affinity. But to, to come back to the question, flexibility, shorter leases um, are definitely happening. It's a question in the office space of getting the right buildings. Um, one of our developments, 5153 Welbeck Street, would have lent itself very well to that type of use. In the end, we've gone for a multi-let solution. But yes, I, I think We've got a, one or two buildings in sight, and I think we will introduce shorter leases, multi-occupation, and I don't think that'll be restricted to offices. In our case, I think we'll do that with one or two of our medical buildings, so we can get specialist medical practitioners operating um, in a consultant's, consultant's house, but in a very modern environment with all the, the cool aspects of great digital connectivity, cafes, breakout space, etc. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting how the world is, of occupation is changing because you go back, it's not so long ago where if you sold someone, you were in a, a serviced office or a short a license somewhere, people would have thought you didn't have a real business. And the nature of occupation has changed so dramatically. And it's so easy now. Technology makes it so easy. I mean, we, moving offices now is literally unplugging and plugging in. It takes, mm. two, it takes two seconds. So it's very interesting how, how the world's changed. And can I ask you something on a personal note? Um, how, how do you find the difference now that you're on that side, <laughs> so as to speak, as uh, from being an agent? Cause of course you've crossed over. So how do you, how do you find the difference in your working day and, um, the way you go about things? Is it really interesting? Yeah, no, I know. I've got to say the, probably the most questions I get asked is just that one. What's it like going from advisory to principal side? Um, and how different is it? So. Um, I think the first thing is having had a career initially in investment, retail investment, and always in capital markets. I latterly became more, more nationwide and more client-wide. So it became very much a senior leadership role with clients and at JLL. And as such, I think I became you know, more of a trusted advisor. And I would certainly find situations where I'd be sitting almost across the table with the client, um, 
with my colleagues from JLL on the other side of the table. So, you know, over time and with maturity, I think you do, you, you morph quite a bit in towards a client's perspective. And the transition to here at Howard Warden really couldn't have been easier because it's such an established business. It's not as though I had to do anything radical that we were starting a business. It literally was a question of coming in, succeeding Toby Shannon with a very established team. I mentioned Simon, Mark Kilday, the finance director. And so, you know, frankly, the, the first thing I, I had to concentrate on is not, uh, not screwing up because it's such an established ship. <laughs> it's going so well. Um, and as such, you know, um, you get great, great advice. You've got great colleagues to work with. And, um, you know, the transition, I'm pleased to say, wasn't, wasn't a shock in terms of a mindset from advisory to principal. Um, you still consult. Um, we're not going to do, we're, we're going to slowly and steadily progress because stand still at your peril. But, you know, this place is fabulous in terms of its maturity, the shape and size and style of the business. So it's just a question of incremental advances. As, as everybody has to, you talk about, um, you know, incredible change. Well, that is happening and affecting us all and will continue to, to, to tweak the model. Um, but there's nothing radical to be done. So um, rightly or wrongly, it feels as though it's been, been a comfortable transition. And uh, it's, it's, it's lovely to be on the other side. I, it's, it's a, say, a very good environment and, um, you know, a nice time in my career to, to, to make the switch, which was pretty unexpected, but I'm absolutely thrilled with it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. Let's, I'll tell you what, let's bring in Paul. We'll come, yeah. we, because I'll tell you why, because I thought there are some of the questions that I've got and maybe others I think might be suitable for both of you. So, Paul. Yeah. Right. Let's, uh, let, let's talk about Nimbus. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting how you guys came up with the idea of Nimbus. And I just thought maybe you could tell people how you came up with the idea and what it's all about. I can show people slightly what it is on screen just to give them an idea. So this is... That's, yeah, absolutely. Anybody goes to nimbusmaps.co.uk. This is us. Yeah. So, so I suppose our background is... Um, so. Myself and my brother to set this business up um, in about three years ago, and, and that kind of span out of a um, professional service business we've got. So we're um, a business called Assure Property Group, where um, over the course of the last sort of, I guess it was kind of 2010, 2012 sort of time, where all the pubs were closing down, we, we ended up doing quite a lot of work for some of the big pub companies. So we did lots of work for like Plunge Taverns and Admiral Taverns and people like that, trying to, trying to stop those pubs either closing down or being fire sold and being sold sort of below market value in effect. So did a lot of work with them trying to build out convenience stores, get some residential consents and this sort of stuff. And what we found was that as we were um, looking at those estates, we were sort of trying to say, well, actually, how do you find um, those properties within a state of six or 10,000 pubs? How do you find out where the opportunities lie in effect? And we found we were using data to do that. So what we then did is started to build those data sets, started to enrich those kind of sort of saying, starting off saying, well, how big are the sites? What are the demographics around them? Kind of, are they listed? Do they flood? All these kind of things that you kind of usually expect to look at through a development appraisal. And we found, well, actually, as you're kind of going through that process, when you're three and a half thousand through a list of 6,000, you've gone a sort of groundhog day uh, times 10, sort of realized actually data's got to be the answer. So we started then building those data sets and say, so that's what then gave birth to Nimbus Maps. So, 
So now Nimbus Maps then gives you um, access to all those kind of data sets we were using. So it kind of gives you uh, ownership, site sizes, building footprints, listings, all that sort of stuff, um, all in one platform. Then kind of different ways in which you can kind of search and, and mine those um, those kind of opportunities in effect through through the whole UK in effect. So as we sort of started to scale out across those those public states, we've also had to get the, the data across for the whole of the UK, and that then gave gave birth to Nimbus Maps. So that. Um, there's, there's two products. There's a, there's a free version, which is Nimbus Maps Essentials. I'm excited for that online. It's totally free. Um, that gives you, in effect, um, land registry kind of on steroids. So it sort of gives you the uh, ownership. You can click around the map, search, sort of using that sort of Google Maps kind of search. Um, and you're, from that, you can literally kind of get, get your, uh, your entrance information, get your um, sort of site size and this sort of stuff, and then some kind of characteristics, sort of looking at some of the constraints, give you kind of a, whether, listed, whether the building's listed and things like that. It kind of tells you, gives you that kind of that, that flag in effect. And then in Elite, it kind of goes on to the next level, which is the paid-for platform, um, where, in effect, the um, we kind of then can cut and carve those estates and say, well, actually, you know, how do I find land opportunities? How do I find, um, if I've got those kind of offers on um, on Welbeck Street and stuff, how do I know whether whether the offers that I'm getting from those national retailers are, are the right ones? How do I know um, whether they'll take a you know a 15-year lease with unbroken with um, RPI uplifted rents in there? How do I know whether that's going to be the case, or whether they're going to going to force in those five and ten year breaks for me and, and give me upwards and downwards rent reviews? How can we find that out? Well, we can go and look back through the estates, in effect, driving through that land registry data, linking that all back together, and, and understanding how um, sort of downing the cops of lease and this sort of stuff. So you can kind of get these huge amounts of information around and um, understand occupiers properly and, and property owners properly, kind of very quickly through the platform. That's kind of where it came from, kind of now where, where it's going in effect. We've got about. Wait, wait. I, want to, I want to show everyone this actually. This is interesting. Yeah your data set providers yeah. because obviously some big names, National Grid, Environmental Agency, English Heritage, etc. You see, I think that um, being sort of doing a little bit of tech as we do, the world of tech has changed so, so dramatically in that people are prepared to collaborate and share data. Whereas Absolutely. if you go back a few years, you know, if you, if you go back a couple of years, people were holding on to their data very much so. Absolutely. And in fact, Andrew, you know, you think about how the big firms were very much keeping the data to themselves because it was they wanted the leg up on the competition. It's changed dramatically. And it's interesting yeah. how, uh, you know, Paul, how you know, the data is available. Absolutely. What uh, we find as well is kind of really interesting is that you data that's created for one purpose is actually really valuable in other, in other areas. So kind of things like your EPC data becomes really powerful for calculating rates per square foot on residential values and things like that. So actually sharing just any data often then creates opportunities that you can't, don't expect often. And who, who, who do you find your main customers are? So we've got um, anything from, so our biggest customer is GVA. They've just taken a, a company-wide um, subscription for us, 860 license they've taken, right the way down to, to one-man band developers looking for parcels of land at the back of gardens to go and build a few houses at the back and, and those sorts of things. So so typically it's agents, it's to be anybody that's doing deals really. And then there's kind of the professionals that kind of sit alongside those as well. So we kind of got sort of a, a great spectrum sort of from, from uh, right down to smallest up to biggest. Paul, can I ask a question? Yeah. Um, I, just I was looking at your uh, data providers there. Yeah. One of them that stood out is Airbus. What on, yeah. earth, what on earth can they provide you with? So that's really cool actually. So this is kind of one of the things that, um, so when Airbus fly, obviously loads of airplanes across the UK every day. Mm. And when they do that, they, they bounce radars off the ground. So, so in effect, you then get this, this very rich data set of kind of um, spot measurements of height across the whole of the UK. 
so we're able to provide um, topographical, so level surveys in effect across the whole of the UK, um, a very, very granular level, so within sort of one metre centres in effect. So every single point of a one metre grid across the whole of the UK in effect, we've got a, a spot height measurement for it above sea level. So then we can, in effect, we can provide topo surveys at the, at the blink of an eye, quite frankly, you know, kind of within 24 hours, kind of time it takes our data scientists to go and dig the files out and put them together in effect. Um, but of course, with that, because you've got complete coverage, you can then see over the over the side fence that you couldn't do on a normal topo survey because the surveyor goes out and measures the, the boundaries of the site in effect. So this is kind of part of the, the thing is that all this data that's kind of gathered, there's so many sort of fringe ways in which they, they can be mm. used. Like, Airbus never started flying airplanes over the over the um, the UK, so I could provide um, topo surveys to, to our customers, obviously. But actually, it's really powerful data. Do you do you? Um, am I correct in thinking, if I wanted to, I could go to each one of these data set providers and get the information myself? Is that correct? But part of what you're doing is you're making it easy for people, so that they can actually take it all in one. Um, place and as a result you're able to compare the information in a it, it, with a property hat on pretty much yeah so not in all cases but most cases and I think um, the other value that we add is that once you've got all the data in one place and all linked together then you can take bits and pieces of different data sets together so you can sort of start to say well I'm interested in um, planning applications that are of this particular size and I want to see them only in these particular locations and I want to see um, those that aren't listed and those that don't flood and all that sort of stuff. And you can, so actually you can be very, very, you can, you can search in a way that you couldn't do otherwise really. Cause otherwise you sort of, you take that ownership file and you start looking at um, properties over a certain size or something like that. And then you sort of have to then, the output becomes so big in effect that you can't then sort of cut and carve it up. So that makes sense. Yeah. So you're looking, you're, you're, you're provide, so really people are, researching opportunities or they're, they're searching opportunities which which aren't I suppose on the market or they're offered something on the market they're trying to collect data in order to see more about the building that that they're considering buying or, or, or even selling absolutely and then, I, kind, of, and then kind of all the um, the bits and pieces sort of spin off the back of that as well in terms of you know looking at those those occupiers what are they doing what are they paying are they paying the right rents they're paying the you know have they got the right right covenants in those leases are they offering you their, their best deal or not it's all of that sort of fringe stuff that then sort of then becomes very powerful as you kind of carry daily life in effect sorry and sorry just to pick up on that yeah you i didn't realize that you're saying you carry data on what people are paying in terms of rent yeah so in effect the um we've got um all the leases that let register with the land registry in the platform and you can search and filter those you can search them by date you can search by location you can search them by the individual business or the group of or the structure of the business that so in effect the, all the parent companies all the subsidiaries of that of that particular business all the associated companies with it so you can search for all of that and you can then pull it all together and download the lease through the platform. So from that, you can build that, that very neat understanding of, well, actually, this particular business or this particular business sector is taking these leases. These are the last 20 leases they've taken, download copies of all of those, flick through the, the relevant, relevant clauses of it and understand, A, what rent they're paying, but then down to the, the minute, minute detail of are they, are they um, taking FRI leases or are they taking you know, up and down with rent reviews or are they taking F... Um, F um, RPI or CPI and all that sort of stuff. So you can dig right into the detail of, of what that deal really looked like. Interesting. Okay, so I've got another question for you, mm. which I think Andrew, I've been interested in Andrew's view as well. So you're very much in the prop tech world. Yep. And we do a little, we do our bit as well in the prop tech world, as you know. Yeah. How do you think prop tech is actually changing our business, our industry? Because 
there's quite a lot of prop tech companies out there, but there's not many that are actually making an impact yet or have actually managed to succeed in my view. A lot of talk and, and not a lot of doing. So how do, what's your view of that? I think it's moving. Um, and I think that because, so we do, um, one of the things we do with, with the, platforms, the two platforms that we've got, we also do bespoke services. So um, that bespoke service kind of says, well, once you've got your head around the kind of data sets that we've got in the platform and the information we can kind of provide, I've got these particular questions that are particularly relevant to me. And actually from that, can you give me those kind of queries that are kind of interesting? So can you give me um, an output of all the properties? Because properties in the UK feel like they're infinite. It feels like there's so many, there's all the different kind of road I can drive down and sort of um, and dig and sort of find something I didn't realize was there in effect. What we're now finding is that those kind of bespoke queries that are coming back to us used to be the realms of, of the really big companies. So the big housing associations we're working for, the banks we're working for, those kind of companies. But what I'm now finding is actually that sort of, A, the middle tier of developers are coming in and saying, do you know what, I've got this, this, um, this fund that wants to back me to go and build out 50 student apartments, something like that. Can you kind of help with that? So actually where it was the top tier that's kind of got the head around the data and kind of how do I site find, how do I, how do I find the relevant buildings, use those PD rights for offices, use the PD rights for industrial units, whatever it might be. How do I find those opportunities? You're now finding a the middle tier is doing that, but then also down to the sort of the, the very smaller, you know, the much smaller developers who are kind of I'm looking for three sites a year and I'm going to knock up three houses on each of those sites, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep churning that. Thanks very much. Those guys are now starting to come forward and saying, well, based on this data that you've got, can we can we cut and carve the data sets and say, well, actually, I'm only interested in this part of Guildford or whatever, and I want to see these little properties that are all kind of between quarter of an acre and an acre or something like that, and I want to kind of then approach all the owners can you rather make me go and sit and download all these title registers how do i how do i get in touch how do i mail merge how do i do all that sort of stuff and and so actually you're sort of finding that traction's coming through where it was in the big the big boys kind of doing their their big thing now we're kind of right down to the sort of the man on the street in effect yeah interesting andrew how do you see it yeah and it's fascinating because we're from a you know very traditional um background and i think the information that we've got on our estate the 92 acres we we've probably got the best information, although it never ceases to amaze me how quickly you can look at a building, uh, get, look it up on an index and get almost perfect information as well. So for, from our perspective, it's slightly different, um, but in the market more generally, um, the data is getting more complete, more accessible, more perfect. Um, and that naturally leads into the question is, what is the role of the advisor? the agent um, and you know we have seen a certain amount of disruption but there's a long long way to go yes and I think it'll, the pace the pace will pick up um, if we go on for a moment to the role of the advisor and I, I think that is the critical piece it's armed with great data we can find out generally who owns what I suppose we still need advisors to how to get to that um, international owner or local owner if it's just a name but what the practitioners what the owners the, the fresh investors developers really wanting and really need is is the advice bit and so um you know traditional broking is as we know struggling it's uh, in many ways not least disintermediation fee squeeze etc but um it's the advice input which is the occupier that's going to come in or an adjoining owner or, or, or something which, uh, which which is critical for, um, for the agency world to, to keep relevant. 
but you know as i prepare for board meetings and things like that now in the old days i guess i would have called up um economists i would have called up agents uh now you can source up to the minute detailed insight um just from the click of a, a mouse on uh, on the laptop yeah i think i've also got a suggestion that i think that part of the reason um maybe the maybe the smaller developers and maybe also um, agents are for example coming to you Paul is as the market has become more difficult people are looking for solutions and I think yeah. the downturn is driving that interest in technology I mean for what we do I would say two years ago no one had heard of the term prop tech a year ago no one had heard of the term blockchain as you know we do in, in the side business of click to purchase we record data in blockchain ledgers the interest level in it in the last I would say six months has increased dramatically and mm. so it's and so I, I do think that the agency world and the advisory world is changing I think that there's been a marked shift actually in the last six months of realizing this is there to help people rather than to disrupt people but I'm going to come on to disruption in a moment because I've got there is something that we're doing which actually the market might find quite interesting so right let's who's got any more questions Del I think you you had something for um, Andrew didn't you yeah 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 Andrew I was gonna ask you um, given sort of what's what's going on at the moment you know uh, with with retailers you know it's well publicized at the moment how how the retailers are all struggling in fact I've just seen next to the the latest one today to come out and say I think they're saying it's the their toughest trading period in 25 years and you've You've got all the um, obviously the, the downturn in the London property mar uh, residential market. You, you've obviously got a um, you know a very 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 diverse and large number of, of occupiers um, within your estate, and I was just wondering how this is whether it in what, in what way this is all impacting on on your um, on your estate generally. Sure. Okay, so yeah, I mean, sadly, we're, we're not uh, immune to the, the, the wider uh, issues around the economy and so forth. So kicking off with retail, I mean, the high street we talked about, Marlebone Lane, that's been phenomenally successful. And the problem with being with success comes uh, a clamor from other occupiers to be there, which drives the rents. Dri the rents being driven drives the business rates inflation that's come through, we know the ways of the online, et cetera. So it's all about keeping relevant in terms of retail and being understanding and sympathetic to those retailers who can or cannot trade at the prevailing rental values. So the best rents in um, Marlborough High Street are now 425, 450 pounds zone A, which has probably doubled or thereabouts over the last five years. And we know what makes us different is the, the range of independent retailers as well as multiples. And our attraction and relevance is, is, is down to that mix. So we, we engage really closely with the retailers. We, we know what's going on. In some cases, we've got good uh, visibility to turnover figures. And um, you know, we'll work hard to maintain the right mix and keep revisiting it because it does change um, pretty rapidly. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, being respectful, 
at the same time keeping an eye on retailers of the future and not being um, shy about parting company with retailers either for whom it's not working or profitable or perhaps are just not uh, not appealing. What we have worked on doing in recent years is, in the case of retail, is um, getting more control. So whereas before retailers could assign their leases, now we'll try and get a situation where it's offered back to us first. Obviously, we will pay the right premium, market premium, but that gives us greater influence as opposed to a lease just being assigned to a third party. Otherwise, um, across the estate, I say we've got a good balance of occupational demand and space. We don't have much in the way of voids. Offices, we've seen a good move uh, into the location, particularly from hedge funds, private equity, who may have been in Mayfair of higher rents, and they really enjoy coming to this part of the world. Whereas Neil mentioned earlier, there's, there's a real sense of buzz community and you know, it helps them hire and retain their key staff. And then on the medical side, which I mentioned earlier, is a really big part of our portfolio. Um, that's a very dynamic and changing industry. There's no doubt technology there will play its part in terms of um, being able to diagnose people without necessarily face-to-face -face consultation. Uh, but in the healthcare world, we find that we've got a greater demand currently than there is space. So again, it's about, a bit like retail, it's about curating, getting the right specialisms, um, working with the operators. So in fact, you know, each year we, we, we partner with 15 to 20 of our uh, clinical practitioners. And I'm just holding up here um, the little production we did. We take, this year we took 17 uh, clinical partners to Arab Health, which I describe to people as MIPIM on steroids. Literally, because MIPIM attracts, what, 30,000, 35,000 people um, to this conference in Dubai. There are about 130,000 punters. And they're wow. very, focused, very, very focused on every aspect of healthcare. And that's good for us. We go as a collective. Um, it gives us a chance to reinforce the brand to international, potential international visitors. And um, it's very good for working with our Occupy clients. I suppose also by you said earlier that what fifteen percent of your income or value was was um, re, was retail. Uh, fifteen percent by by income, so it'll be slightly higher by value. Okay, so you're you're affected, but not too much by the, the no woes in the res, in the retail market. But the interesting point, Neil, is it really is one of our key differentiators and shop fronts. So um, you know, I'd be very happy having a higher proportion of value in retail. Um, even if it stays at 15%, the, the impact and the benefit, if we get that right and continue to get it right, is, is worth far more than that 15%. You know, yeah. when, I'm talk, when I'm talking to friends who are not in the property world and I'm explaining that I'm working at a family estate similar to Grosvenor, they say, well, where is it? They may not have heard of Howard Walden, but when I say we're in Marlebone, um, they say, oh, is that, that's the high street, isn't it? The high, the high Street and Harley Street are, are what, what we're known for. So as, if we've got a vibrant, successful high street, which benefits the residents, we've got 800 residential units. Uh, it, it benefits the occupiers, the office occupiers, and importantly, actually, for our medical uh, visitors, um, you know, it's, it's a welcome distraction and an attraction for them to be able to spill out into the other 
um, amenities around Marlebone and the wider West End. Well, I assume, I assume you've got the advantage that because you own the estate, you can take a more of a view than if you're an institutional owner of a shop in a high street. You, know, you can look at the, yeah. la the la bigger picture. And it, yeah. it, is it is true. It's got a lovely mix of, um, of occupiers and restaurants. In, it, it, it really has. It's a, I mean, I, it's a pleasure driving down the high street each day. I really do enjoy it. And also you do, and you're, try, you're true. It's exactly what you say, Andrew. You do bump into people. Yeah, there are a lot of property folk around, actually. John Milligan has just moved in. Do you remember John? I do remember John, yes. Of Millig Mill Milligan Retail. He's, he's literally just moved out of Grosvenor Street, um, uh, 100 yards from the building here, from the office. Oh, well, there you are, you see. Proof of concept. Um, I'm going to ask, let me ask another question, if I may. I'm going to ask Paul. Paul, my favourite yeah. topic, Blockchain. Okay. <laughs> what are you do, are you doing anything in nimbus in relation to that not a fat lot no um i think there's kind of it's going to be quite interesting i think because you know kind of land registry and blockchain you know why isn't land registry moving on to blockchain i think blockchain comes in you know land registry version 1.0 where we're at now probably comes in in version 2.0 3.0 4.0 i don't know quite which yet but i think what's kind of really interesting with blockchain is that actually a lot of the stuff that we're capturing. So we're kind of almost getting to that point where we can kind of do that local search, kind of get, get all your planning histories, get you all that sort of stuff that's kind of nearby. Actually, why is that not all set on blockchain? And why is that not then built into the fabric of the, of the transaction? I think there's kind of some really interesting stuff that could be, could be done around that. We're, we're, I suppose, from that point of view, in terms of the data and the information we're providing, I don't think blockchain is quite going to be the answer just yet. I think certainly version two, three, four, absolutely. And I think that should really kind of tie in with the land registry, could tie in with um, various other parts of that data set because in effect, data set, that, that information, that kind of, that, those underlying constraints that sit behind the, the buildings and the transactions going forward. Absolutely. Yeah, interesting. So let's, oh, I've got a, I've got a question for you, Andrew from al falcon historically i'm sure that the howard warden estate is a holder of property is he in the market to add to the estate and are there buildings that he has an interest in now i it sounds like are you a buyer interesting yeah maybe, we are maybe richard yeah. has got property for you ah great okay we um so uh, just to clarify the 92 acres is the extent of our property ownership so we historically we've held assets outside Marlebone, but now it's the 92 acres all within this particular location. In terms of uh, purchases, and we, we do buy, we typically buy, we probably average at 20 to 50 million pounds a year of acquisitions. But today, some, for the foreseeable future, it's going to be either within the estate or adjoining strategic interests adjoining the estate where we can. Um, generally where we can add value, get greater influence and control. So a good example of that, Neil, would be um, an office building on Chandos Street, which was bought a couple of years ago. Um, it gives us currently an office use, but it's quite a good footprint and, and, uh, and scale of building, which gives us options. You know, I, I suppose we can either continue with it in the long term as an office. Um, an obvious alternative use would be medical. <laughs> I know that building, actually, yeah. Yeah, quite a few agents have been in there over the years. Yeah. Um, we're buying another building 
close by to that, which is also offices, because as a number of our offices have gone to medical use, so a proportion of offices have gone down. So to answer the question, um, yes, we're in the market. I'd be very happy to add to our retail um, in particular, but we will continue to invest, but for the time being, on patch on the estate or thereabouts. Okay. If anybody wants to know what's in the estate, I've got it up on Nim's maps right here, actually. <laughs> and if you want to see who owns the buildings next door, I've got that right up here too. So um, if anybody's interested. Can I share my screen? You, you, come, come down from here. I don't think you can, I don't think you can share your screen because I control things. Oh, I see. But, okay. um, sorry about that. <laughs> but, but what I would say, but what I would say is part of, part of what we do at these hangouts is really just try and bring people together and with no real agenda, we're not trying to um, earn fees or anything. So in all seriousness, if anybody out there would like to meet Paul uh, on a personal introduction about to talk about Nimbus Maps and trial and use it, or would like to meet Andrew because they've got properties or opportunities on the Howard Alton Estate, please let me know or let Dale know or anyone in our, or Graham, anyone in our, in our organization and would be only too pleased to put you in touch. Neil, something, something I, uh, thank you for that, and something I don't think I've talked perhaps enough about, given the scale of it, is residential. Okay. Um, so we've got about, as I said, about 800 units, of which 730 or so are let on a short, short-term tenancies. So short-term leases, typically a year, and you know you feel the ups and the downs very quickly. And uh, you know, clearly central London's had its challenges over the last couple of years. So there's been a bit of downward rental pressure, but we've been adding to the residential component. We've been doing rooftop extensions and creating more residential space. So our residential income is, is about the same, although strictly on a like-for-like -like basis, it will have come off a bit. Um, our aim on, for every occupier, but particularly for residential, is for people to pay a market rent, but for them to get and feel they're getting something over and above. So it's the bigger value proposition. And that starts with the environment and the community that we've got here. And increasingly, we are using devices, working uh, and engaging closer with our occupiers to bring them together. Um, so a good example this morning is I'm um, through another uh, former colleague of ours, Rowan Shah, who you may remember. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, Rowan's um, got Marlebone Asset Management. He introduced me to a good friend of his who happens to be high up. He's an international director at Travelodge. He lives in a property not a million miles away from the office where I am here. He's one of our uh, occupiers. Um, and we had a really interesting chat this morning where I was able to hear from him as to what, what he thinks is good, what he thinks there are in terms of opportunities. And there's that little sort of community introductory network in a way what you're doing now online, which um, bring, brings additional benefits and, and, and enjoyment. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, residential is a big, big part for us, very vibrant. Um, we've, we've always got uh, units available there, and that's a classic case. If there's, if there's anybody who wants to come and have a look around, we've got a brilliant team here, and we've got, we've got a few units available at the moment. You're not selling okay. anything? We're not selling, no. Okay. Right, I'm going to change subject slightly. I'm going to bring in some news, if I may. And I'm interested to hear everyone's response. So let's talk about click to purchase for one moment. So click to purchase, as you know, is a side business which we run where you can buy buildings online. And we have developed it over some years.
where you can buy breeding online by private treaty, best offers, or auction. But I want to talk about the auction side of it. The auctions that we have done in the past and we've run, and we don't really run that many actually, but the, the, the system and the technology does allow it. Our, our auctions are live. It's tap, tap, tap. It's you know live auctioneer interacting with the bidding audience. Any more bids, any more bids. The idea being that we didn't want to recreate the way the auctions operated. We just wanted to put it online. Because all the other systems out there are eBay style systems. I don't like eBay style systems. I don't think I would want to bid on a property in an eBay style. I think that you feel a bit dis, dis you're not attached to the, you're not interacting with the auctioneers, you're not interacting with the other bidders in the same way. And the key, the key point is none of the eBay style systems around create binding contracts of sale with digital signatures on electronic contract notes, which is what we do. So that's what we've been doing as a business. And we then record all that in blockchain, as I'm sure you all know, because I talk about it all the time. We are just releasing, and I can say even just today, today we've gone live with a fourth sales channel for the business. And we felt that there was clearly a demand for Ebo style auctions in certain parts of, um, in Ireland in particular, where we have um, some clients in Ireland. And we decided we might as well try and meet the demand. But we thought, well, we've actually got this live auction system. So should we create an Ebo style system? And we thought, let's go one better. So as of today, we've, uh, we've actually started offering artificial intelligence auctions. And what that means is that if I or someone using Click to Purchase wants to auction a property, Rather than bid against me or, or Dale or Graham or Andrew, you would call in the artificial intelligence and the artificial intelligence will be the auctioneer and will conduct the auction in the same way as an auctioneer standing on a rostrum. So what that will mean is for the bidder, the bidding experience is exactly the same as it has been so far. Um, you make your bid. Thank you for your bid. Are you sure? Going, going, gone. I'll change the bid increment. But that is now being run by an artificial intelligence. Now, the advantages of that are that an AI will collect data and will make, over time, the experience of bidding for both buyer and seller more and more smooth. It can't make mistakes. But more importantly than anything else, it is beyond any possible manipulation because the bidding is operated by a computer system in a manner which the market is used to. So artificial intelligence auctions go live today, and as far as I'm aware, world first. The first auctions are yet to be announced. The stock obviously needs to be obtained, but the product is now available. So I've been saying for some time that I think the live auction room is closing. Um, and I think this is the first piece of technology of click to purchase, which I would say is disruptive because I can't see a future of the ballroom auction. And I would say I give it a very short life and I'm not trying to put people out of work, but it was what you were saying earlier, Andrew. I think the world in where we that we operate in is changing. So that's a new piece of technology. Anybody watching the Hangout heard it first here. It should be our official launch will be Monday. If anybody's interested to learn about it, please let me know. So what do you think of that, guys? I think that's fascinating. I think that's absolutely fascinating. I think um, really kind of interesting in terms of kind of the the role that I see the agent adding value to, and I guess the auctioneer, I'm not, not prepared for the uh, for the auction example here, but but my take on where agents add value is that negotiation piece, is getting that that right value out of the um, out of the out of the deal that's being put forward, and I think that's very interesting. Saying, well, actually, do you do you do you do you replace that with AI? That's a very very interesting interesting question. Can that can that bot in the background? Can that can that create such a good experience, as good an experience as the 
as the as the experienced auctioneer, I suspect it probably can. So it's a very interesting position because in my in my head that the the agent where the agent has the most value is that kind of clever negotiation, that kind of pushback at the right time and accepting at the right time and squeezing the last penny out of the deal. And now if that's then done through AI, that's really interesting. That's really yeah. interesting. Very disruptive. <laughs> yeah, Neil. Yeah. What Neil, I th I think it's um yeah, fascinating. I think it's it's evolving. I think with the whole prop tech advancement, it's gathering pace, things are changing quicker. Mind you, you and I would have said 10 years ago that the auction room was dead and it survived very effectively, um, mainly dominated the commercial world by Allsop who continued, but the main firms have, done, have bailed out, haven't they? Yeah. CBRE, Cushman's, JLL. So it's um, Allsop, Acuitous. And there is, there's something of a, of a buzz, of an atmosphere in a room. And I think live bidding, if you've got the right circumstances, will squeeze uh, a, a very good number. It's not particularly efficient, but um, I suspect it, it'll continue, but with fewer players, um, but the pace of change is, is quicker. Mind you, I thought driverless cars two years ago, if you'd asked me driverless cars, I was convinced, had been convinced by a few people that we'd be seeing that um, in short order, but that's taken a huge step back in uh, recent months. Yeah, but driverless cars are coming. There's no question. Mm. See, what, see, what I've seen is that the pace of change, it's not just the change that's occurring, it's the pace of change. Mm. And, I, and I, look, I genuinely do believe that the auction room is, is going to die. And I don't mean that. I just think that the businesses who are operating auctions at the moment need to adapt. I, I, you see, interesting enough, I, I've heard this comment quite a lot, Andrew, about you can squeeze in an auction room, but there's plenty of people who don't like going to auction rooms. There are plenty of buyers who find it very intimidating. If you go to an auction room, you find the dealers are there, they're always at the back having a cup of tea, you know, all clubbing together. And they're all, you know, it's the, it's the occasional person who hates that experience because they find it so intimidating. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, the other interesting with that is that it's kind of the auction houses uh, we've always found very difficult because you've got to do all your due diligence first, your, le your legal due diligence to make sure what you're buying is the right thing. Of course, if you then overlay the blockchain example where you've then kind of got all that due diligence already done, you kind of know that the building's fine before you buy it, then it's very interesting, isn't it? Very, very interesting. Um, I think so. I think so. I, I, I think it's only going to go one way, to be honest with you. We just happen to be first. I've had a question from Rob Simmons. He says, how can a bidder be certain that the AI isn't taking bids off the wall? Well, the answer, Rob, is you can't. The AI is allowed legally to take bids off the wall up to the reserve. Interesting enough, in Ireland, you can't. In Ireland, um, where we are also live, you're not allowed to bid, but the system does provide for that. So you're absolutely right. But if you think about it, we all, we've all done this. We, we've all said it. We've all gone to auction rooms, and there are some auctioneers who are good, and there are some auctioneers who aren't so good. And sometimes it's very obvious when an auctioneer is taking a bid off the wall. If you've got an AI doing it, it's, at, you, it's not obvious. And therefore, surely for the seller, it's a better result. We will have to see. If any of my um, competitors are watching, I'll be very interested to supply you with an AI auction package at a price to be negotiated. Okay, so we've been online for an hour. So unless we have any more questions, unless anyone's got any more points they'd like to raise, I think it'd be a good point to wrap it up.
Oh, I've got a question. Sorry, one point. One point. We always ask a question for people who want to get a CPD certificate. So here's a question. I wonder if anybody, any of you guys know the answer to this. On this day in 1983, what did Ronald Reagan announce? Graham, you look. Graham, you ready? Got an answer for me? Uh, what did Ronald Reagan this announce? day in 1983? What did President Ronald Reagan announce? He's looking. Andrew, you're looking up on your phone, aren't you? I've got to make a call in a second. I'm no, you, yeah. All right, shall I give you the answer? I'll give you the answer, which is quite relevant with our tech talk. He announced a space-based defense system called Star Wars. Mm. Which sounds like we need it at the moment, the way things are going. <laughs> so let's hope um, it's working. I hope, let's hope there's no bugs. <laughs> Right, I think that wraps it up then. So anybody, anybody um, wanting a CPD certificate, there's your answer. You need to tell me the answer. Or Faye, or Luan, or Dale, or Graham, etc. So uh, at that point, we're going to wrap up. I'd like to say thank you very much, Andrew. Pleasure. Have a good weekend. One of my old friends in the game. Paul, thank you very much. Thanks, Dale. Much appreciated. Graham, thank you very much again. Thank you. Dale. Thank you. Neil Singer, signing off. Look forward to seeing you all in a couple of weeks. Thanks very much.